Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studio of WHUP LP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, Mondays at 1, radio host Mike Francesa is with us. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you every week, www.murmurradio.com. M-U-R-M-U-R-Radio.com. You can listen via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Download us. Subscribe to us. <laughs> we have social handles at MSF Murmur, MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. You can also email me directly at murmurradio at gmail.com, murmurradio, one word, at gmail.com. I will read, I will answer, and if you have an idea you'd like me to explore, I will match it with a guest. So I, I bet your service. I am a one-stop email shop, murmurradio.com. For all your murmuring needs, welcome. Today on the show, Mike Francesa. I want to set this up a little bit today with you, for you. Mike Francesa is an icon in our industry, in the industry. I don't want to put myself in R yet, O-U-R, but he's an icon in the industry, industry being radio, but now radio is things of a microphonic nature. Radio is real time, and as radio is changing, Mike hasn't changed. (laughs) For 30 years, Mike has been doing it in as, on as high a level as anyone, and I want to backtrack and set it up because I don't know, I, I don't think he's a national figure for people outside the sports genre but within the sports genre he is on the mount rushmore he's on the mount rushmore also with his erstwhile partner chris mad dog russo and they really started an art form or a media form i'm going to ask mike today if what he has done or what he does because he's not retiring but he's leaving radio i'm going to ask him today if what he does is an art lots to 
to talk to Mike about today, and I want to set it up. I don't have tons of time with Mike because he's saying goodbye December 16th, well, December 15th, 2017. December 16th is the day I get my life back and he gets his life back. December 15th, 2017 is when he steps away from the in-real-time microphone. He, he said he wants to drop into other shows, podcasts maybe. Who knows? I'm going to ask him about the podcast form as well for his next chapter because he's been uh, love-hate, mostly critical of podcasting, as am I. I mean, this show I do in real time on radio, but then I bank it as an as a podcast, but that's about to change. I do this show on a really cool local radio station, whupfm.org, but I'm about to not do it here. And essentially that means find a space in the modern school of film, the hallways of the modern school of film, and plunk down a microphone and see who's listening. <laughs> and then bank it as a podcast. Anyway, Mike Francesa. So Mike, when I was growing up in New York, Mike Francesa, Started off in CBS Sports. He actually, when I was a, a really a little kid, I used to watch the NFL Today, National Football League Today on CBS. Now, football. Every time I say football, I'm referencing American football. But for those of you not listening with American ears, it's American football. Mike started at CBS NFL Today as Brent Musburger, who was the host of NFL Today, his right-hand man. Mike then did some uh, NCAA basketball, college basketball for CBS, essentially was a, a utility player on a high level. In the early 80s, uh, the, the the dawn of this, the radio, terrestrial radio breaking into different genres seemed to be nigh, and um, sports radio 1987 WFAN all sports all the time and what's interesting about what FAN did at that time is they brought in a lot of national voices to anchor their programming and they found that was actually a mistake because the national voices weren't connecting with the local audiences so they engineered some new strategies and Mike Francesa actually submitted a resume and um, essentially said to the station hierarchy give me a shot they did give him a shot on weekends, and that shot lasted 30 years. And the first act of that shot was being paired with another important pioneer in this industry, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Chris Russo and Mike teamed up in September 5th, 1989, for those of you keeping score. And, of course, there's always one person in sports keeping score. You know that kid who's always keeping score. You know who you are. Anyway. And Russo and Mike Francesa, today's guest, were put together, and the show was called Mike and the Mad Dog, but it failed. But what's interesting about that failure is a drama and an antagonism was born, and a style of engaging radio. But what I, what I found interesting at that time listening is how local it was. And what I also enjoyed listening to with those guys is how much I learned, <laughs> Not just about sports, and I was a big sports kid, but also about rigor, about passion, about speaking to people and about people at the same time. Mike always distinguishes between people who call the show and people who listen to the show. So the callers versus the audience. And I was never a caller, but I was the audience. And how we speak multiple languages. And with microphones, you can do that. And, and Mike, again, not a very polished performer by his own admission, and I'll talk to him about that today, but also not exactly a warm and fuzzy guy. And being a New Yorker myself, I, I got that. 
I got that what that was about. It wasn't personal. It was just the ferocity of the area. So the ferocity of the area, and New York has always had a ferocity that's appealed on a global level. Yes, New York oftentimes thinks it's the center of the world, and it is, <laughs> but it's not. But um, it is. But um, <laughs> that ferocity meant something to me. It made me feel I had a chance. The other thing it, it gave me is I remember listening to Mike and Chris, and then Mike solo. Mike and Chris broke about 10 years ago. The show was 20 years going on strong, Mike and the Mad Dog. Strong on the mic, maybe not off the mic. The guys didn't always get along. And that's well documented. There's also a 30 for 30 ESPN documentary on the guys. But on the radio, I knew five days a week, and Mike and Chris both had solo shows on the weekend. Five days a week, Mondays at 1, Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard New York time, I was there. Not just to listen to the sports, because I was actually never a New York sports fan, but I was a fan of other sports teams, but also a span, a, span, a fan of the information and the way information was conveyed by these guys. And Mike, now 30 years stepping away, which is important to me, important mo movement to me. I don't want to say passing. It's an important movement that reflects a greater movement in what, what's happening to radio. And it's not what's happening, what's happened to radio, where it may be going. And we'll see how much... Mike, how tea leave reading Mike is doing there. But I also learned literally vocabulary from the guys. Uh, George Steinbrenner, the late George Steinbrenner, used to own the Yankees and, and was known to be a little hot under the collar. And you could see that now in your local Seinfeld reruns. But he he would write these what they were called. They were press releases, but they would call, be called missives. A statement of a state of a state of the union on the Yankees, and Chris and Mike Francesa would read them on the air. So I didn't know what the word "missive" was until they used it. And what's interesting is these are guys. You know, Mike is a self-made kid. He was a sports kid. He came from a, a modest beginning in terms of socioeconomics. Born on Long Island, New York, and he made his way. He played athletes in high school, went to college, went to St. John's University, went to Hofstra University briefly. But I got that. I got the grit that they communicated through the microphone. And what's interesting is and you can't fake that, right? You can't fake that. What's interesting is all these sort of refined thinkers also gravitated towards Mike and Chris. Mike Francesa, you know, they don't suffer fools. And, and I don't know what I'm going to get when I talk to Mike today uh, because, you know, he's not always in the most temperate of moods. But, you know, there's a separation between craft and taste and you don't have to like something to appreciate the craft. I liked both because, again, that's stylistically, stylistically the thing Mike and Chris did and Mike Frances has done for 30 years. Chris is still doing it in satellite radio, but Mike did it in real time and Chris is in real time, but Mike did it in terrestrial, time-based, communal radio. And that's changing. We know that. We know that nothing gold can stay, right? <laughs> Mike's not done yet, and I'm not done listening to him, and I'm honored to get to talk to him today. And there was so much emotion in me reflecting on it because, and a little bit of fear, not fear of talking to Mike, but fear of the anticlimax of it all, fear of something moving on. We know that the only constant is change. And Mike represents a change in the industry and a change in the attitude. But also Mike is a pioneer. Mike Francis is a pioneer. 
And with all pioneers, there's this, these other waves that come in and think they can do better and fail, and very few have succeeded, like Mike. I mean, the weed and the chafe have definitely defined themselves. But what I like about Mike is Mike is undeniably Mike. <laughs> he suffers no fools. <laughs> I don't think I'm a fool, but I'll, you know that opinion may change in half an hour. Today, though, I think it's also time to reflect on some of the things with Mike that don't often get dis- discussed with Mike. And that's the, the eternal parts of what we do, what I do, the relationship between the host, I hate that word, but the speaker and the microphone. That's not changed. There's a relationship between the speaker and the microphone. There's a relationship between the microphone and the sound it makes. There's a relationship between the sound and the audience, the people listening. There's also a relationship between the audience and their lives and their community. So I think that's not changed. Passion hasn't changed. I don't think Mike's lost his fastball. I think, you know, fastballs naturally decrease, but Mike's onto something new. I don't know if we're going to cover that because he probably doesn't even know what it is. Mondays at one, Mondays at one, I was there to hear what Mike and Chris were saying. And then Mike, I remember at the end of the week, at the end of each week, Mike would start his, uh, he would do these prognostication, professional football prognostications. And those prognostications would begin with uh, the theme from the rifleman. (laughs) You know, again, the buoys of our life, right? The things we tune in to whether they're, you know, oral or physical or communal or anything, the things we expect that buoy our life. I remember the rifleman buoyed my life. Not so much for what he was going to say, because that's disposable and that moves on in time, but the way he was going to say it. So today we'll revisit some of those ideas with Mike Francesa. Mike Francesa, today, as he says goodbye for now, or Hello, I must be going for now. Mike Francesa soon. Now this. Pray! This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I must master my life. Without me, my rifle is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. I must fire my rifle true. I must shoot straighter than my enemy who is trying to kill me. I must shoot him before he shoots me. I will. Before God, I swear this creed. My rifle and myself are defenders of my country. We are the masters of our enemy. We are the saviors of my life. So be it until there is no enemy. But peace. Amen. Amen. Arr! Arr! Good night, ladies. Good night, sir. Hit it, sweetheart. Sorry, I, sir. The Rifleman. Starring Chuck Connors. On December 16th, 
2017, two people will get their lives back. Uh, one is me, because I've been listening to today's guest for the better part of 30 years, unbelievably for him and for me, frankly, uh, in different iterations. The second person who will get his life back is today's guest. It's rare to have a pioneer on the show because most pioneers are dead. Uh, this man is alive and up for new challenges. This is not a goodbye for him, and it's not a farewell. I think that's what the byline people are missing. We're honored to have here, after 30 years, for five and a half hours a day, sometimes six days a week, once 24 hours straight. That was amazing. Please welcome to Murmur to the Modern School Film, Mr. Mike Francesa. Hello, I'm ready. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Are you Thank s- you, pleasure. Are you sick of talking about yourself? <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks of it, yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, I don't do a lot of interviews, um, I don't go on other people's shows. Uh, I don't do that. So there's been a lot of that the last two weeks. I kind of uh, have done a lot. There's a couple of interviews coming out, a couple of uh, stories coming out in this week, uh, Times, and uh, a couple of other uh, different long pieces. And uh, so I've done a lot of it, uh, more than I've done uh, probably ever. Uh, so, yes, it's been a week where I've uh, spent a lot of the week answering questions. Hey, man, I'm honored. Maybe we could look at this a little different way. I know you're at the end of a long day. What's the difference between you and a fan? I know you are a fan, but what is the difference in the sense of a technical difference? What makes you different than a fan? Uh, I think that it's it's the uh, it's, it's two things. It's the way you look at something, and it's also uh, having dedicated uh, my my life to it. It's a level of sophistication. Um, the fans are passionate about sports. They love their team. It's their hobby. Uh, they, they spend time with it. They, they read about it. They, they research it. But uh, it's not their livelihood. It's not what they do. It's not their area of expertise. And uh, it is mine. Uh, I've, I've given my uh, life to these games and to the sports. And it's something I do as a profession. Uh, it's something I take seriously as a profession. So um, my level of uh, expertise, my ability to see through some of the things that the regular fan wouldn't is uh, what I bring, obviously, to the uh, to the uh, show, to the broadcast, to anything, because uh, we're just looking at it from a very a very different uh, place and from a very different uh, you know vantage point. Well, just to, you know, look at the Yankees for a second, your beloved Yankees. Do you have to beta block that piece out that does love the Yankees? Do you have to look at it objectively? I mean, you're beyond this now after 30 years of doing it, but are there some, you know, fans tend to be irrational, this just in. Um, you know, how no, do you... There, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of people who, uh, who are on my end of the business who are uh, lose their uh, their subjectivity, right? Or their objectivity, objectivity and yeah. find themselves to be very subjective in that regard. So I, I've maintained a very high level of objectivity with teams. I, I, when I'm on the air, I don't consider myself a fan in any way. I try to be extremely objective about the team. Are Are you an artist? Uh, performer. I mean, if you consider the artist, uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a journalist. But I'm also a performer. So uh, in that regard, I'm a performance artist. Um, there are different levels of artists. Uh, there's a uh, there's a practical nature to some art. But as far as it being a performance art, yes, I'm a performer. 
You know, because thinking of people like Paul Harvey and some of the golden age of radio, and I think you're as big an icon as, as Paul or someone even like Dan Rather, who was more journalistic, like in front of the camera. Is is journalism art in that way? You know, I, I like how you're putting performance in it, but is news? No, radio is 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 radio is 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 that way. Uh, radio is a performance. I mean, radio is a very personal medium, but it's also a performance medium. Uh, what you do is you entertain. You perform. You have to have presence. You have to have uh, an ability to perform, uh, and you have to be able to entertain. That's part of it. I mean, and putting me on a level with Paul Harvey would be doing me a uh, a great honor and one that I don't know if I deserve because Paul Harvey is probably as good as anybody has ever been uh, in 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 basically uh, getting his opinion across, getting his point across. And especially in the way he told stories, the verbal level of his storytelling was an art form in itself. Uh, and that was something he did on an extremely, extremely high level. So uh, there were very few Paul Harvey. In this medium, you know, there's a couple of guys who just stand alone. And you mentioned Harvey, one. I this would be another. Uh, if I could ever be mentioned on that level, I would be uh, very much honored. You just were, uh, and you are, Mike. We're here with Mike Francesa on Murmur. You know, frankly, because you, you, the, you do a monologue every day. I mean, you've done monologues for 30 years. You know, anything that ventures into that is a form of art. And I know, ironically, I think you're too humble to look at yourself on that timeline, but I do, and, and hundreds and thousands and millions do. Um, are you Is what you do teachable, though, Mike? I mean, you know, you, you went to school, you went to St. John's, you went to Hofstra for a day, which is about as long as Francis Ford Coppola was there, actually. Um, is what you do teachable, or is, it, or is it all gut? Is it all gut instinct? Um, it's teachable to an extent, but I always tell the kids the same thing. There will come a point. You can go to school for this. You can go to uh, different uh, communication schools. You can go to the great colleges. You can go work at uh, the new school. You can go to any different level here. But there will come a point where it's just about you and the performance and the audience. And at that point, whether it's when the red light goes on and you're on the air or the sign goes on and says you're on the air or you're on a stage and they say go, whatever it is, <laughs> there comes a level where you have to be able to do it. There, the, the training there, the instincts have to take over, and there has to be a performance gene inside the good performer. Uh, every performer has it, and that's where you separate those who can and those who can't. And uh, just because you've been taught well, it doesn't mean you'll be good at it. I think you know right away. I always believe the performer knows right away. I can see it in a youngster that I might interview or have on the show, and I can see the youngster who takes control of the microphone in a moment uh, at a young age and see that he has the performance gene. And it's something you can't teach. I think it's something you're born with. You can learn a lot about the craft. But if you're going to be one of the good ones, you're going to be born to it. What about something as pedestrian as Mike? Uh, control or mic usage. You know, we have a lot of people who use microphones on this show. Uh, what, what do you think of that? I mean, you know, I, I don't get the sense that you're kind of a Juilliard-based uh, approach to a microphone, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, do you think about that? Like how you use the mic, how you I, use your I voice? Do some, I do in some ways and do in others. I, 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 I've never tried to lose my New York accent. I've <laughs> never felt that I must enunciate every letter in what I do, but 
I do use it in a lot of other ways. Uh, there is uh, a practice uh, that utilizes sound and utilizes uh, sentence in terms of timing. And uh, the cesare, as an example, the, the break, the, the second that you don't speak, the, the time you wait to accentuate the point, yeah. the, the, just the silence, as an example, is a very, very learned craft and part of what we do. Sometimes you can be silent for three seconds and it'll feel like it's three hours. I mean, just being <laughs> able to understand how to do that is part of performance. You know, you, you part of your legacy and your work and your trajectory has been working two men, obviously famously with Chris Russo, Mad Dog. I was thinking of one voice versus two voice format. How do you see them as different? I mean, you, you've mastered both. Oh, they're different. They're as different as day and night. Yeah. Um, the one-man show, uh, you have to be able to do the monologues at a certain level. You have to be able to storytell at a certain level, and you have to utilize the callers. It is imperative. The two-man show, you don't need the callers. You don't need topics. You can always use each other as long as you have an ability to perform together in a chemistry. So it is uh, it, the two-man show. Is, is not reliant on anything except the two people. They can do the show without any other, any other stimuli or any other objects or any other anything. The one-man show is reliant on calls. It's reliant on news. It's reliant on environment. It's reliant on a lot of things. Uh, the two-man show is reliant on nothing except the two people. What, what's been your preference? I mean, is it lobster versus filet? I mean, in the sense of obviously they're two different species, but, you know, historically, uh, gun to your head, as you and Chris used to say, one of many things I learned from you, gun to your head, uh, which do you prefer, one or two men? And this is not to alienate anyone, just curious from a craft standpoint. I think the one and the two men are very different. I think that the the one man is harder. Mm. Both can be equally intense, both can be equally entertaining, but depends. If you want intensity, if you want passion, I think the one man will outdo the two man. I think if you want levity, if you want laughs, the two man humor and a breeziness is much easier to do with the two man intensity and passion is much easier to do with the one man. Well, this is a weird bit of vocabulary. Just a couple more thoughts with Mike. It's been a long, incredible ride uh, before he jumps in the car with Julio, presumably. Um, you talk about a power chair. This is a term, you know, in radio. Uh, can you define it for people who don't know what that is? And I guess the question is, and not to sound cute here, but is there a power chair when there's only a one-man um, show? The essence of the show is that there is a power chair in every studio and in the one man, you're always going to sit in it because you're going to emanate everything from that chair yeah. in the essence of the power chair is the chair that faces the control room. Uh, that is the power chair. The, the ones that you have to turn your head or glance to see the control room is not the power chair. In essence, where you would sit, where anybody would sit in the one man show, that's the, power chair in that studio that's the optimum seat that's the source of all power in that in that show and it it gets brought up in two or multiple people shows it doesn't get brought up in regular shows but it's the same thing except we all know you're going to sit in the power chair when you're by yourself you have no reason not to the question is when you have two or more who sits in the power chair yeah i mean 
is there any value in sitting in the non-power chair? I mean, looking at it reflectively, what is the, not advantage, but what is the role? You know, I've heard you talk recently about Bill Simmons, maybe a better point guard than the lead guard. You know, what is the value? What Because what, it's a scary thing to step down from a power chair, you know, as you, as you probably have experienced. What's the value? What's the end for the non-power chair? The power chair is the way you control the show from. Uh, the show is controlled more from the power chair than anywhere because you can not only give direction, you have a sense of a uh, complete sense of where everything is and everything runs from the, uh, the power chair. It is, uh, it's the most important part of it. And again, the one man show, it all emanates from the same place, but the two man show, it's going to come equally at times, but for the most part, it's going to come more from the power chair than it is from the person sitting in a non-power chair. You, you said recently, it's funny, on the show a couple of weeks ago, you said you're a content creator. I thought that was interesting. It was an interesting kind of modern way of looking at yourself. How do you define that content creator? I mean, obvious, beyond the obvious content I, creation, but are you a content creator? Uh, I, I, first of all, what, what we all do is create content, right. and, and you see that now in this era uh, you see the companies doing well are the ones that create content, like Netflix, as an example. Everybody is out there to create content. Sports is doing so well. Franchises are doing so well because sports is the ultimate content. It's live, which is optimum. It's unscripted, which is optimum. Right. And it's freewheeling and unpredictable. So uh, everything you do, whether it's give an opinion on sports give a political commentary, do a, uh, a monologue, whatever it may be, you're creating content. You're creating something that can be used on a secondary and a tertiary level, and that is money, and that is what we do. That's what we do in the news business. It's what we do in the sports business. It's what we do in the entertainment business. We create content, and that's what everyone's paying for now, especially good, compelling, live original content. You're, you're segueing to a, a, a tricky thing. Podcasts, which are not live. I hate podcasts, frankly. I mean, but here we are, right? Here we are in, in the 21st century. What is the specter of maybe doing a podcast? Not, not to put you on the spot about career moves here, but do you like podcasts? No, I think the podcast is a... I don't have a problem with the podcast itself. I have a problem with the distribution of podcasts, yeah. and I have a yeah. problem with the economy of scale. Yeah. Nobody in the podcast world is making money. Nobody. And the reason why is they have giving it away. And, and uh, very few people are cutting through. Podcasts have become very ordinary and very predictable. Plus, nobody, if you find anyone who's making money uh, <laughs> on podcasts, they're making it because they had a name going in. That's right. Nobody makes the name on a podcast. That's right. And no one overseas really knows what a podcast is either. So they don't export. You know, people in, in, in the most sophisticated cities in the world really don't know yet. Ira Glass talks about this a lot. And I know Bill Simmons has. You know, I wonder, Mike, do you ever regret something you said? And here's my point. You know, after I do this show, I do the show once a week. You do it five to six times a week. You've done it 30 years. That hour after you go off the air, do you ever regret something or wish you had said something to me like that keeps me up at night do you ever regret anything you've said absolutely listen <laughs> we all have right to have a sentence back or have said something differently but you know what when you do this live and that's the whole idea of it is yeah. to do it live 
uh, when you do something live 30 hours a week, uh, you have to understand you don't get to get it all. You don't get to do it over. So there are no regrets. Uh, it's like, you're, you know, you're out there, you're, you're there without a net and you understand that's the performance that you're giving and there's no looking back. So there's nothing to be gained by that. So it's really useless and it's just, uh, it's baggage you don't need. I'm sure we all have it. I'm sure I have it, but I've practiced enough now and done it long enough that I'm able to dismiss it because I know it's not, there's nothing positive to come out of it. There's no way to change it now. You're not going to go back and change it. And that's the difference between performing live and uh, struggling over something on tape. If you have something on tape, you have the ability to agonize over it and go yeah. back and forth and back and forth and yeah. back and forth and change it 50 times before you're in the finished product. The only problem with that is every time you go back to change it, you take a little of the life out of it. And yeah. by the time you get through that, you'll have no life in it. So that's why it works better when it's live. We're here with Mike Francis. So just to wrap up on a couple of quick hitters, Mike, um, do you, you know, I've learned a lot from you, man. I, I mean, I, I always say that teachers don't teach you what to think. They teach you how to think. And I think one thing you've done exquisitely well, if I could say, even with Dog and on Solo, is you don't tell people what to think. You teach them how to think. Man, I didn't know what the word missive meant until you and uh, Chris used to read those missives from Steinbrenner. I mean, that was one of the, those were one of the great moments. But aside from that anecdote, do you think, or can you believe that you've taught anybody anything in terms of people listening to you? Or do you think that's just kind of fantasizing what these 30 years have been about? No, I, I think that, you know, we've impacted a lot of people. First of all, we changed the way these shows were done. Yeah. I also think we've elevated the, the status of the talk show host, which was very poor when we started, to now it being a coveted job. Now it's the best job in every town in terms of sports. And I, I think as far as, uh, I think there's a lot to be learned from the standpoint of the amount of uh, good content that we produce. Uh, but you know what? Everything is in, everything's imitated, uh, but a lot of things aren't duplicated. And I think we have brought something very rare to it. And I try to be uh, an original voice. That's the most important thing. You know, in this day and age, you're not giving people information anymore. They all have it. Uh, what you're doing is you're providing, you're providing opinion, you're providing presence, and you're providing performance. Uh, if you do that, you'll have done your job and Hopefully, if you found the right audience, and I long ago did, then you'll play the full houses. And that's one thing I've been very fortunate is that wherever I go, I play in front of full houses. And uh, that's always what I find the most gratifying. If I didn't, I'd be very upset about it. That would mean I'm not catching on. That would mean I'm not cutting through. That would mean that I'm not hitting the mark. And that hasn't happened. So I'm very fortunate for that. The, the problem with that is everyone thinks they're original, but they're not, and and you have been original. I, I got to ask, where you go, will the rifleman go with you? Uh, will will the, <laughs> yeah. will, the will the theme? Always. You know that that damn rifle was sold for sixty thousand dollars at auction. Um, I, that I sh- love that show. That was my favorite <laughs> show growing up. I love that show. I love that rifle. You know that I, I'm not a gun guy at all. <laughs> right, but right. I love that. I love I love that show and that rifle. I always did. Uh, that and I love the music uh, too. Absolutely, the music was great. And you know those shows are old classics. You ever watch them back to back? You run them once in a while on Saturday morning oh, yeah. on on cable. Yeah. Uh, so they run them back to back. There, it's amazing. You see some of the people who directed them and stuff. You get a kick out of it. Sometimes it, they were some pretty big directors. Uh, Chuck Con- 
Connor, uh, a pro athlete as well, uh, the Ruffleman, Mike Francis. Yeah, played they played baseball, played uh, foot, played professional basketball, played professional baseball. So he was a good athlete. Hey, hey, Mike. Just in closing, you know, you talk a lot about uh, Sundays at one. You know, the sanctity of Sundays at one. I know you had a horse Sundays at one. Um, I want to thank you for uh, something a little more important to me. Mondays at one. Uh, because, you know, to me, Mondays at one were always, for the last 30 years, have been in, as important as any day and time in my life. And I, I want to thank you for that, man. I know this isn't goodbye for you, but, um, you know, thank you uh, for everything, truly. Well, thank you. And that'll be the hardest part. You know, the first day there's a big, people ask me what I'll miss, the first day that there's a big story and I don't have uh, an audience waiting for me, a large audience waiting for me Monday at one uh, for that, uh, to listen to what my take is. You know, I may have to go door to door. So uh, <laughs> if that's the case, you know, I'll be on my merry way. You know, that's but uh, I'll be I'll, I'll be a voice in, in in search of an audience. Hey, Mike, if Julio doesn't want to drive the getaway car, I'll keep the car running while you go thank do, you. go door to door in Manhattan. Hey, thank, and thanks for your time, Mike. Be well. Take care, my friend, and happy holidays. Take care. Bye. Bye. Those minutes when we're performing. When I'm yelling and screaming about something, and it's not something I'm making up, I believe in that. Sure, I try to make it as entertaining as possible, but I still believe in it. I'm getting a message across. I believe in what a message is. And during that time, I would just stop and think about how, how unbelievably fortunate I was to be in that position, to be in the position where I got to do this for a living. And I walk out of here tonight in just a couple of minutes when I say goodbye knowing that, frankly, I have never worked a day in my life because I have loved this. You know, I tell my kids this all the time. I tell them now, I tell Jack, I tell Emily, I tell Harrison, I say, I want you to do all these different things right now. And I tell you, everybody out there who's listening right now, who's thinking about what they're going to do with their life, find something that excites you. Find something that makes you passionate and grab it. First, find out what it is you love and grab it. And then if you can find something, you're blessed. But if you can then, after you're done with your schooling, find something that you can make a living at that you love, well, then you're not only doubly blessed, you'll never work a day in your life. And I walk out of here after 30 years. I've never worked a day in my life. Luckily, I didn't have to. There weren't a lot of things I think I would have been good at, but I found something that I knew how to do and something that I love doing. And I leave here after 30 years feeling so unbelievably grateful and unbelievably blessed that I've been able to do this. This has been a great station. Uh, it's the greatest city in the world. You guys are the greatest fans in the world. You're passionate. You're knowledgeable. You care. And... That means so much. To go to a city that has no passion, anything without passion is just not the same as something with passion. Passion makes everything better. Passion makes everything more exciting, more challenging, more dynamic, and that's what this city has about everything. I mean, we fight for everything. We fight for a seat on the subway. We fight for the next inch, the next parking lot. We fight for the next lane in the highway. We fight for everything. That's what we are. We're fighters. But that's what makes it great. 
It's the hard part. It's that it's hard is what makes it great. And that's what the city is. It could be hard. It could be nasty. It could be competitive. But it also is challenging and it's dynamic and it's passionate. And that's what we bring and that's what you guys bring to sports. And that's what anyone who sits in this chair has to bring every day. And, you know, I've been asked a lot over the last couple of weeks, you know, how much you're going to miss this. And like I said, I don't know yet. I'm going to miss it, I'm sure, a lot. But I can tell you this. Uh, I'm very proud of what Mike and the Mayor Dog accomplished. I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. And all I want to say to you, especially to my family, thank you for being there for me. Makes it a lot easier to have them to come home to. And you know what? They're more than anybody deserves. And what I want to say to uh, everyone I've worked with, thank you. But more than anything else going out, I want to thank you guys, the listeners, the audience. Because without you, we don't last a week. We don't last a month. So what I'd like to say to you is I will miss you. I thank you. And from the bottom of my heart, I love you. Goodbye. We want to thank Mike Francesa. Mike Francesa, 30 years. Congratulations, man. And all the best. We'll see you again. And we'll see you again, or at least you'll hear us again. MurmurRadio.com. Google Play. Google Play. (laughs) Google Play. Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Four times a month, download us. Email us. Email me. Murmur Radio. It's me. MurmurRadio at gmail.com. Social handles at MSF Murmur. We're leaving WHUP. We'll see you back at the Modern School Film.